0: We are officially done with Philippians. We'll be starting a new series in the book of Matthew. And this morning we're going to be starting in Matthew chapter 4. And you may be saying, well, why are we starting in Matthew chapter 4? Well, we're going to work through Matthew and actually as we get to Christmas time, we're going to kind of wrap back around to the beginning for a little bit and then kind of pick up back where we left off. I figure it makes sense to start in the beginning of Matthew at Christmas time. So that's where we are this morning, we're going to be talking about uh, Matthew uh, chapter four, verses 1 through 11, and how Jesus overcame temptation in our behalf. Um, speaking of temptation, I remember uh, going to school. I was typically a very good student. I got B's and A's, and I didn't really do much studying. I didn't really pay too much attention in class, didn't really take notes. And I was able to get B's and A's. However, when I went to high school and we started doing algebra, that all changed for me. I was generally pretty good at math. And then they added letters. And it was a pretty steep decline in my ability. Now, instead of deciding to study, which is what I probably should have done, I thought, well, you know what? I will get together with my two friends from the basketball team who are good at math and I'll copy their homework because that's a better idea. So I would get together with these friends. We'd get together after school or sometimes we'd get to class early. And I would copy their homework and I would do really, really well in all the homework and do really poorly in all the tests. And somehow the teachers never figured that out. I'm not quite sure about that. But maybe they just overlooked it. Now, I wasn't a Christian at the time, as I've kind of told you, I didn't become a Christian until my junior year going, summer of my junior year going into my senior year, but um, my, my conscience is pretty strong, and I, and I felt ashamed by this, and I kind of thought, well, I shouldn't do this, but I, I just kept on giving in to temptation and doing it because it was easy, and when I became a Christian my senior year, I did stop doing that. But that temptation to to cheat on my math was always there. and even In fact, when I went to undergrad, uh, when when I was in hard theology assignments and and quizzes and stuff like that, there was that temptation to cheat that I kind of had developed in high school. And I would think to myself, well, wouldn't it just be easier just to cheat just a little bit to make sure I got a good grade? Temptation is a struggle for every one of us. It maybe looks different for each person. Maybe your temptation isn't to cheat like mine was. Maybe you're tempted to lie. You're tempted to lie to your spouse, lie to your kids, lie to your friends so you look better. Maybe those lies, you start at little itty-bitty lies, and then you have to come up with bigger lies to, come up, to cover your little lies. Maybe your temptation this morning is to take a relationship too far. Maybe it's a relationship with a boyfriend or girlfriend. Maybe it's a relationship with a coworker, And you know you shouldn't take it that far, but you feel tempted. And innocent flirting starts to snowball out of control. Maybe your temptation is to give in to anger. And you feel that anger well up inside of you when you get frustrated. And you know if you give in to that temptation and you let it out, you're only going to hurt those that you love most. Temptation, it looks differently for each person, but it is a universal truth as sinful human beings that we will all deal with it. In the story we're going to look at this morning, Jesus was tempted in order to show us that we have a Savior who truly knows what it's like to be tempted and offers us the help we need in our temptation. The author of Hebrews says this. He says that we have a saber, Savior who is able to sympathize in our weakness. Hebrews 2.18 says that. Or Hebrews 2, 4.15 says, we have a, we, He was tempted in every respect as we are, yet He was without sin. I think we're going to see in this text that we have a, a Savior, Jesus Christ, who has empathy for us in our temptation because He was tempted to cheat God. You're going to see he was tempted to follow his own agenda, and he was tempted to take a shortcut, which was a detour to his glory, yet he didn't. Now we're going to read uh, from Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Uh, It's going to be up on the screens, or you can turn to page number uh, 967 in your pew Bibles, and then it's going to follow on to 968. So let's look at this narrative this morning, starting in verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple, If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written. He has commanded his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up on their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this will be given to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. So, we have in this text, Jesus, he's led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, to be tempted by the devil after he's been fasting 40 days and 40 nights. So, the Spirit of God, on purpose leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted or tested. The, the Greek word here, I think a better translation is tested. You'll see both in your Bible translations, but I, I think that is the better translation. And it says he's fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and he's hungry. And I'm like, I didn't eat lunch and I'm starving to death, right? Of course, he's hungry. He's, he hasn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights. There's no doubt he's hungry. And here Jesus, he's been fasting for a long period of time, led by the Spirit, and there's something amazing going on in this text. Any Jewish person would be picking this up, we have to backtrack a little bit because we're not Jewish, we don't know the Jewish scriptures well, but any Jewish person would have immediately thought about the Jews wandering in the desert for 40 years. The most significant key to understanding this story is to be found in Jesus' three scriptural quotations that are going to come from Deuteronomy chapter 6, chapter 7, and chapter 8. And this is the part, by the way, where Moses addresses the Israelites before they enter into Canaan in which he reminds them of their 40 years wilderness experience. The Israelites, if you remember, were forced to wander in the desert for 40 years because they repeatedly gave in to temptation, didn't trust God, lied to God, and complained about what God had done for them. So God leads them into the the wilderness to wander for 40 years as a generation dies. They failed to do what God had called them to do in the Exodus, which was to live faithfully and follow God faithfully as he led them into the promised land. The time of desert wandering was a time of preparation for the Israelites, proving their loyalty to God as God put them through a time of privation or put them to the test. Israel would be learning or should have been learning what it means to live in trusting obedience to God. Deuteronomy 8.5 says, As a father disciplines his son, catch that word son, so the Lord disciplines you. Among the lessons they should have now learned are to depend on God and not bread alone, which you can see in Deuteronomy 8:3, not to put God to the test, Deuteronomy 6:16, 6, and to make God the exclusive object of their worship, Deuteronomy 6:13. So all that is very much in the minds of the Jewish people, and now we have another son of God who comes onto the scene, and he's now in the wilderness. And he's in the wilderness for 40 days fasting rather than wandering for 40 years as preparation for entering into his divine calling. There in the wilderness, he too faces the same test the Israelites faced. He is, and he learned the lessons that the Israelites so imperfectly seemed to grasp. His father too is putting him to the test. And the son, Jesus, is triumphant, rebuttals the devil in every way, and all of his suggestion and is perfectly obedient to God the Father overcoming temptation the one true and perfect Israel Jesus overcomes temptation where Israel failed and where we also fail the story of testing in the wilderness is thus an elaborate typological presentation of Jesus himself as the true and perfect Israel The true and perfect Son of God, through whom God's redemptive purposes for his people now reach its fulfillment in him. Here we have the perfect Son of God, the faithful Son who endures testing in the wilderness uh, that we cannot ourselves endure. So he's going to go through three different temptations. First temptation is this he's tempted to turn stones into bread. There's a lot of uh, symbology going on here. Uh, We won't get into all that. But it says that uh, the tempter came to Jesus after he's been in the wilderness for 40 days. And he says, if you are the son of God, uh, turn these stones into bread. Satan comes up to Jesus and he's like, Jesus, you're obviously hungry. right? You've been fasting for 40 days. You're obviously hungry and you're obviously capable of turning stones into bread. If you're really the son of God, why don't you just go ahead and do this, Satan's saying to Jesus. You can do it. You're capable, right? By the way, Jesus does something even more miraculous, twice feeding thousands of people just by making food appear out of nowhere. He's capable of doing it, but he doesn't do it here because it's not for the right reasons. Satan is not Inviting Jesus to doubt his sonship in this temptation, but rather to reflect on its meaning and his role and relationship with the Father. Sonship of the living God, Satan suggests, surely means that Jesus should use his power to just satisfy himself. That he should just satisfy himself. It's simple, right? But how does Jesus respond? Verse 4. Jesus answered, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Here Jesus says, life is not just simply about satisfying physical needs and wants and desires. That's not what life is all about. Our greatest need is not just physical needs and wants and desires. Our greatest need is intimate relationship and fellowship and communion with God that we get through God's word. Here Jesus succeeds where Israel failed so miserably. God used hunger to show Israel... That the most important thing in life was obedience to the word of God. You can read that in Deuteronomy 8, 2, and 3. More necessary than bread for Jesus was obedience to God's word. Relationship, communion, fellowship with the Father. Israel demanded its bread in the wilderness and died. Jesus denied himself bread and truly lived as we were meant to live, righteously and faithful submission to God's word. We have the same problem. The same problem in Israel that Israel had. When we face temptation, we give into temptation because we are too focused on the physical and material things of this world. We are so focused on stuff and what we want and what we need and what we desire. We just completely forget about God because we're looking down here at everything around us. And we give into temptation. But Jesus. Perfectly overcame this temptation on our behalf by focusing back on his relationship with God the Father. Oh, how we need God's grace and mercy in this life to get through these temptations, to refocus us on God. The second temptation is this He was tempted to put God to the test. Let's move on to the narrative. It says in verse 5, The devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. So Satan takes Jesus. He puts him on this precipice of the temple. They kind of look down. And he says to Jesus, he says, okay, here he is standing up here. If you really truly are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift up their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Here, Satan is quoting from Psalm 91. And if you know Psalm 91, Psalm 91 is a promise to God's people that if you follow and obey God, and you have faith in God, God will protect you. So Satan is saying to Jesus, Satan is saying... Surely you're the Son of God, you've been following God, you're obedient to God. If you throw yourself off of this temple, this is what scripture says: God's gonna protect you, right? He promises to. The devil is twisting scripture here to try to get Jesus to sin. And he does this to us as well. I'll, I'll give you an example in my own life. Oftentimes God will, or Satan will, will be in my mind and he will say, Oh, if you just sin, it's just a little sin. God's grace, it's so great. He's going to forgive you. Just, just give in. It's just a little sin. You, just, no big deal. Just give in to it. And I'll have that thought in my mind. And that thought is a thought straight from sin. There is no sin that is a little sin. All sin, God hates. All sin grieves God and grieves the Spirit inside of us. All sin makes God weep. All sin is an, an affront to the holiness of God. But that thought pops up in my mind. That is Satan trying to get me to sin. He, he uses scripture even to twist to make us sin, to justify sin. How does Jesus respond to this challenge? Well, he responds to scripture in its proper context. He says in verse 7, Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Here, once again, Jesus is overcoming temptation where both Israel and we fail. Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy 6.16. This passage references where Israel failed to follow God and they put God to the test. It is an allusion to Exodus 17 or seventeen verses 1 through 7. Israel is in the wilderness and they're thirsty. They're getting a little parched. And if you look at Israel's history, they, God brought them out of Egypt through miraculous signs. He literally split the Red Sea wide open so they could cross on dry land and then it had to collapse on Pharaoh's army. He's fed them. He's taken care of them every step of the way by amazing miracles. And they're feeling a little bit parched. And they go, God, you need to prove yourself to us. You need to provide me water right this very moment because I'm demanding it, God. God you need to do what I want right now. Provide a miracle for me, God. Prove yourself. This provoked Moses to respond, why do you put the Lord your God to the test? Here Jesus succeeds, and he doesn't give in to temptation where we frequently fail. When things get hard, when they get challenging, we tend to put God to the test, don't we? We say, God, I really want this job. If, if you really love me, you're going to give it to me. God, things are really hard right now. If you really love me, you're going to make them better. God, are you really there? I've been praying for this certain thing, and I haven't gotten it yet. God, you need to prove yourself to me. When things get hard, we tend to be like Israel and put God to the test. perfect example of this um, Going to my junior year, I was trying out for the basketball team. I was a basketball player. Most of you have heard that by now. And I went to a big high school. My graduating class was around 550 kids. And uh, my junior year, I was kind of starting to get the faith thing yet. I wasn't really totally a Christian. I'd grown up in the church. I've heard some stuff. And so I kind of had some pieces to the puzzle, but I hadn't put it all together. And I was trying out for the basketball team. I'd played since I was a kid. I'd made the ninth grade team, tenth grade team. But I knew making JV, I was gonna be on the bubble. And so I said something to God like this I said, God, if you get me on the junior varsity basketball team, I will follow you. Right? And did you think, did I make the junior varsity basketball team? No. No, I did not. And I was mad at God and I said, God, see, you're not real. You didn't get me what I wanted. You're not real. We have a tendency to do that when we face temptation. But here, Jesus, in his weakened state, knows the beguiling ways of twisting Scripture. Oh, God, Satan, God's going to give you exactly what you want. And Jesus responds with Scripture in its proper context and faithful resolve to obey God, overcoming the temptation that we so easily give in to. Thirdly, is this the third temptation Jesus faced is he is tempted to take the easy way out. Verse 8 picks up in the narrative. and Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Satan doesn't quit, man. This guy's like coming at him a third time again and again and again. And he takes Jesus up. He puts him on a high mountain. He gives him a vision of all the kingdoms of the world, all of their splendor. And then Satan says to Jesus, Jesus, I'm going to give you all of this. All you have to do is worship me. Satan offers Jesus the lordship of all the kingdoms of the world. By the way, these are all rightfully his. Jesus is the Lord and King of kings, Lord of Lords. The Psalms say everything's gonna be put under his feet. Satan's just kind of temporarily falsely ruling this world right now. Ultimately, Jesus is gonna crush him and cast him in the outer darkness at his second coming. But here's Satan saying, look, I'll give you all of it. Disworship me. Follow me. Disobey God the Father. Satan is offering Jesus what's rightfully his to reign over all things. And what Satan is trying to offer Jesus here is kingship, his kingship without sacrifice. Satan is saying, look, I will give you all of this if you simply deny God the Father and bow to me. And you won't have to go to that. You won't have to go to the cross. You won't have to pay the penalty for man's sin. You won't have to die, be crucified, flogged, bear the weight of the sin of God as He pours out His wrath on you on the cross. You won't have to do any of that. I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world. Just simply bow to me. Sounds like a tempting offer, right? Jesus can have His promised kingship, and He gets to avoid the cross. But here's the problem. Sometimes our temptation comes as taking the easy way out. And the problem with taking the easy way out is it compromises our values. Satan is asking Jesus to compromise his values. And that's how our temptations come the same way. He says, oh, if you just give in to your boyfriend or girlfriend and have sex, it'll be easier. If you cheat just a little bit at work and just give in to your values, you'll get ahead of your coworkers and get that raise. Or if you just don't tell your wife the whole truth, you just give her kind of part of the truth, or you don't tell your husband the whole truth, you just give him part of the truth, you won't have the fight. It'll just be easier. Sometimes, taking the easy way out requires us to compromise our values. This is what Satan was asking Jesus to do, to take the easy way out, but he would have had to compromise his his greatest value. And how does Jesus respond? He says, I don't have the text here, but he responds in verse 10. He said to him, he says, no, 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 Satan, get away from me. It is written, I worship the Lord God and I serve him only. I don't compromise on that. I worship God the Father and serve him only. Get away. Jesus refuses to take the easy way out and compromise his values. He firmly, he tells Satan, no way. Finally, verse 11, it says that the devil left him and the angels come and attend to Jesus. By the way, God is fulfilling all of his promises he made to Jesus here in verse 11. He sends his angels to minister to the Son of God. So what? So what? Well, I think we too face temptations in this life. Though our temptations are not the same as Jesus, we too will be tempted to cheat God. We'll be tempted to follow our own agenda that's not God's agenda. We'll be tempted to compromise our values and take shortcuts. And in fact, most of us will experience experience some sort of test or trial pretty much every single day. Every day. So what do we do about it? If we're going to face temptation and trial on probably a daily basis, what do we do about it? How how do we overcome it? Well, I want to give you uh, the four no's. K-N-O-W. Four no's. Number one. Know the one who has overcome temptation on your behalf. The key to overcoming temptation is you can't do it. You cannot do it in your own power. You cannot do it on your own. We need Jesus, the perfect Son of God, who is tempted in every way possible, yet perfectly overcame temptation on our behalf. Jesus was and is fully God, fully man, who knew the weight of sin and the heaviness of temptation. He was not just shadow boxing with the devil. This wasn't just a show. He was wholly vulnerable. He was God who took on human flesh. Though, like Adam, perfect in nature, he could have been hit, he could have fallen, but he didn't. He is the undefeated champion of the world of perfectly obeying God and overcoming temptation. He won. And as such, he shows us what to expect in the ring and how to jab and land winning hooks as we fight in our battle against temptation. Jesus is the one we run to when we are tempted. We run to him. And ultimately, when we fail, because we will, we run to Jesus when we fall and seek forgiveness through repentance of our sins, and he is faithful and just to do it. We come to him because he knows what it's like to face temptation. The author of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14. Talking about Jesus, he says, Therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet... He did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Not only was Jesus fully tempted and overcame temptation, he also went to the cross and paid the penalty for when we give into it when we mess up, when we slip, when we fall, when we fail, when we go too far, Jesus has paid the penalty on the cross. Jesus is perfectly just to forgive us our failures because he has paid for them in full, paying the penalty for our sin in our behalf. So when you feel tempted, go to Jesus for strength to overcome your temptation. And if you fail and fall, immediately go to Jesus in repentance. And he's just and good to forgive you. The second no is this. No temptation comes when we're at our weakest. Satan came to Jesus when he was at his weakest. He'd been fasting for 40 days. He was hungry. The the devil tempted Peter to deny Jesus when Jesus and Peter are separated when Peter is at his weakest. The devil fights dirty. He fights dirty. He will wait until you are at your weakest before he attacks you. And knowing this helps us. When you're feeling weak, when you're feeling stressed, when you're feeling lonely, we can know that we may come under attack by Satan's devices. Satan may try to tempt us to sin in our weakness, but if we know this, we can be ready for it. If you know you're feeling weak, be prepared to be tempted to sin. You probably experienced it. I know I have. It happens almost every time. When you know you are weak, be prepared to buffet Satan's attacks by turning to God in your temptation instead of turning to sin. The third no is this. Know Scripture well. No scripture, a a brief understanding of scripture is not enough. Never reading your Bible is not going to do it. Not coming to church is not going to do it. We see Jesus' new scripture inside and out. And when Satan came to attack Jesus by twisting scripture and taking it out of context and using it improperly, trying to get him to sin, Jesus returns that attack with scripture in context. The devil tries to do the same thing to us. He can try to twist Scripture to trick us. Because of this, we must know Scripture well. We must know in its context. We must know the entire story of the Bible. And I re- recommend a couple different things. One, read through the Bible every year. If, if reading through the Bible every year is too much, I understand that it's too much for some of you. Do it in two years. Do you know you can read through the entire Bible in two years and ten minutes a day? If you take ten minutes a day, you can read through that book In two years. And when you do that repeatedly throughout your lifetime, you will see how it all fits together. It's this one great story of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration with Jesus at the cornerstone of that story. And the more you know, the more you will be able to buffet Satan's attacks against you. Another helpful thing we can do is read an entire book in one sitting. Now you may say, Andrew, that's crazy. That's crazy talk. I can't do that. But I want to tell you, there are many books in the Bible you can read in one sitting in 30 minutes. You can sit down and read it from beginning to end in 30 minutes. And when you do that, I promise you, you will see things in that book you never saw before, and how it connects together. So, no scripture. While well. fourthly, and lastly, no temptation is only temporary. There's good news. Temptation is only temporary. It doesn't last forever. Jesus was tempted for a period of time and then the devil gave up. The tempter will not tempt you forever. James 4.7 says this, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. When you are tempted by God, resist the devil, turn to God and the devil will flee from you. Temptation doesn't last forever. That is good news. Jesus, the one over who overcame temptation for you. Jesus, the one who you can turn to in temptation and overcome it, is the key. He's the key to overcoming temptation in our life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father. God, we, we face temptation, probably daily, God. And we need Jesus. We need the Son of God to turn the hymn to for strength. We need the Son of God to, to teach us how to overcome temptation. We need your word to teach us how to overcome temptation. We need the Holy Spirit in our life uh, forming us into the image of God, speaking into our conscience to, to help us to overcome temptation. We're fully dependent on you. God, help us in that Help us to be people that flee from sin and Satan and turn to you, God, to be a holy people living in a righteous manner that brings you honor and glory. And Lord Jesus, I pray for each person here, including myself, when we mess up, when we make mistakes, may we immediately turn to Jesus and seek forgiveness, the Son of God who is just and loving righteous and who forgives us all in righteousness through the cross. We thank you. We pray this all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.